Boy, as we gather in worship in a moment, we're going to get to the text. We're going to get to the sermon for today as we continue on worship. But before we do that, I just want to pause. And, you know, we join the rest of the nation with it being Memorial Day weekend, uh, tomorrow being Memorial Day. And as a reminder that this is a moment where our nation has said, we need to pause, we need to stop, we need to remember and celebrate and honor those that have given their lives for this country, whether in the military or in the civic arena. Many people have given their lives in a way that reminds us of John 15, 13, where Jesus says, there's no greater love than this than one who would give their life for their friends. And what a sacrifice when someone gives their life not only for their friends, but for strangers, for those that are part of something even beyond what they can see. And it reminds us and it points us to the one, our God, a God who comes in the flesh, Jesus the Christ, who lays down his life for all of humanity, more than just one nation, but for all of humanity. And as we gather with those around us, many people are joining us online as well. I know that individuals come to this moment and we know personally, or even from afar, people that gave their lives serving this country. And we want to acknowledge that just for a moment. If you know somebody personally, whether it was somebody you served with or a coworker or a family member or a friend or someone from your neighborhood or you went to school with that, that lost their life, that gave their life serving this country, whether in the military arena or in the civic arena, would you stand? We want to acknowledge you that you bring into this moment people personally. And we want to thank you for showing up today. We want to thank you. And as you stay standing, if you would, would you stay standing? You know, we are reminded, as Pastor Kim mentioned a moment ago, that we, guided by Scripture, we rejoice with those that rejoice and weep with those that weep. And I imagine you bring a variety of emotions in this moment. I want you to know that you don't stand alone. That we are a church. We're a community. And we have no idea what you bring to this moment. Maybe some of you aren't even here watching online that stood in a hospital room or at home. You're on an airplane. You just stood up in your row. We want to stand with you. So as a church, would we all stand, knowing that you don't stand alone, that we would, as a symbolic reminder that we are in community with one another, we're called to bear one another's burdens. And would you, in this moment, allow me to pray for us in this time. God, we thank you for your love, a love that is so great and so gracious that it spills down into the lives of those that we either know personally or we know secondhand through someone else that gave the ultimate sacrifice. Didn't just give their time, their talent, or their treasure, they gave their lives. And so God, would we be thankful? Not just when the rest of the nation is thankful, but would we be a thankful people every day? And would it point in a deeper and greater way to you, God, the one who laid down your life for us? It's in Jesus' name we pray and we say together, amen. amen. Can we give thanks to those right now in this moment that either stood or stood with us? And as you grab a seat, I want you, if you would, to pull out your Bible. Some of you have been bringing your Bible. I want to continue to encourage that. Some of you don't have one. You've got one in front of you. It's that red book. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, please take that Bible in front of you. It's our pew Bible. would rather you have it than it's sitting here all week. There's a pencil there. You can open it up. If you don't own a Bible, you can write down your name. And in a moment, I'm going to have you 
underline certain things that's yours. Again, much rather it be for you. And we're turning to Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. It's on page 955 in your pew Bible. We're in a series that started on Easter, going through the entire book of Philippians, which is simply a letter written by a man named Paul to the early church in the first century in a town called Philippi. And we absolutely need, as they did back then, to hear what God has to say through Paul. So relevant for us today. So let me read Philippians 4, verses 1 through 9. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, my beloved. I urge Iodia and I urge Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you also, my loyal companion, help these women, for they have struggled beside me in the work of the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my coworkers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. And the God of peace will be with you. This, my friends, concludes the reading of God's Word. You know, whenever I read this, I'm reminded of how amazing planes and submarines are. You think about a plane, think about a submarine. It's remarkable. All those little pieces put together in such a, a strong way, in a solid way, a rigid way that planes, they can fly tens of thousands of feet. And no matter how turbulent the air is, it's been built with such stability on the inside that it can stay in one piece. It's not ripped apart to pieces amidst the turbines, a submarine in the same way with all those little pieces put together in such a, a strong way, a stable way that it can stay in one piece despite the pressure around it. Today we're talking about the peace of God. Let me give you this definition. There is a peace that only God can give that is the only thing that can keep you in one piece. There's other things that offer peace in our lives, but actually you find out if you pursue those things, you'll end up in pieces emotionally, psychologically, relationally, spiritually, financially. You see, God has created you more intimately and more perfectly than a plane or a submarine. And there's turbulence in your life. There's pressures in your life. And there's something that Paul is offering here that is offered to all of us that can be a piece of God in such a significant way that you actually can go through the most turbulent times of life, the most pressure-filled times in life, and you will stay in one piece. There's two practices that Paul shares right here. But before those practices, there is a principle that we have to understand. Now, how many of you would say that at one point in the last year, you worried about something? Yeah, the morning service laughed too. They're like, are you kidding me, Drew? You would even ask that? I mean, fish swim, birds fly, people worry. It's what we do. There's things in our life that cause us anxiety, turbulence, pressure. 
This is something every single one of us needs. And most books out there, most conferences out there, most resources out there will skip this principle and get right to the practice. They get right to the method. They say, you've got anxiety, you've got turbulence, you've got pressure. You've just got to close your eyes. You've got to breathe in. Breathe out. Visualize where you want to be. Does that work? No, it doesn't work. Maybe for a moment you might hyperventilate long enough to forget what's going on. But what Paul reminds us is that there's a starting point that you can't leapfrog over. You can't get to these principles or these practices before you start with this principle. And it's right here. Take a look again. Open those Bibles back up. Philippians 4 verse 1. Right there, you'll see it says, stand firm. Have this stability like a plane, like a submarine. Despite the turbulence, despite the pressure, stand firm in the Lord in this way. Now, what is in this way? You've got to understand that this moment in Scripture, there's Scripture before it. And it's so easy to mistakenly think that what he's referring to, this thought began in verse 1 of chapter 4. But you've got to be reminded that this is a letter. And when Paul wrote this letter, he is building upon truth after truth after truth from beginning to end. And it was centuries later that we as humans added chapters, that we as humans added verses so that we could reference where those thoughts were. So if you look at the beginning, right there, it says, therefore, there's something before it. And what's before it? Look back. We refer to it as Philippians 3.20. He says this, but our citizenship is in heaven, and it is from there that we are expecting a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the great truth. The Apostle Paul in a moment is going to talk about a disagreement, a quarrel, a spat between two women in the church. And what he's saying there, and this is the principle, that no matter how small, no matter how tiny, tiny, like granular, no matter how small the turbulence in your life, no matter how small the pressure, no matter how petty, no matter how mundane, no matter how small it is, that you actually have to look at that through the greatest truth that there is. Many years ago, I heard somebody say that People who don't know God often take petty things and make them seem very profound. And religious people take very profound things and make them very petty. A Christian looks at everything, no matter how small, no matter how large, through the greatest, the grandest, the largest truths that there are. Take a look what Paul is doing here. In verse 3, he says, yes, and I ask you also, my loyal companion, help these women, for they struggle beside me in the work of the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my coworkers, whose names are in the book of life. He is connecting a quarrel with this massive truth that they are citizens of heaven, that they're going to spend eternity with each other, in the Old Testament, it says that the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies wearing a breastplate. And on that breastplate would be the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. In Isaiah, it says that the Messiah, who is Jesus, has our names written on his hand. 
Scripture says that when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you are written in the book of life. What Paul is doing here, he's showing us a principle that if you understand this as the starting point, it's going to dramatically change how you experience the peace of God and the God of peace in your life. When was the last time you started off an angry email, a text, a phone call, a rant on social media, directed at a fellow believer? When was the last time you started with a, God, help me to see them as my brother or sister in Christ. Help me to see them in this moment. Despite the disagreement that I've, help me to see them as your treasure possession. How many of you do that? Well, I've got your emails. <laughs> I, I've sent those emails too. I'm not putting myself off the hook. You see, we have to begin with this great truth that no matter how small the turbulence is or the pressure in our life, that we have to connect it to, that we have to see it through the great lens of all that God reveals to us. The importance of God's sovereignty, of glorification, justification, sanctification, God's presence, his perfection, his faithfulness, his holiness, his goodness. Actually, if you actually understand those things, change what happens when you're stuck in traffic. You see, to be a Christian means that you connect even the most mundane moments of your life that you don't say, oh, God doesn't care about this. No, he does care about it. And he wants you to look at that thing, that relationship, what the doctor just said, how much money is in your bank account, the stresses in your life, the things that cause anxiety, the turbulence, the pressure. He wants you to look at all of that through these great, grand, big truths. That's the principle. And here are the two practices. First, the practice of prayer and the practice of pursuit. Open those Bibles back up. Let's take a look. Verse 4. Apostle Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Then in verse 6, Do not worry about anything. And I love the fact that there's not a period there. Because if there was just a period, if it would just end there, and often people, when they reference this, they often stop there. Oh, yeah, God tells me not to worry. Preachers tell me not to worry. I shouldn't be anxious. Period. No. There's actually a resource that will help you not worry, a resource to help you not be anxious, and it's this. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. That's the key right there. When it says, with thanksgiving. Now, some people have distorted this, and it's kind of a name it and claim it view, which is not what Scripture says. Some people think that this says, okay, if I just pray for something, that person, that jet, that promotion, to avoid, or that, that situation just to go away, uh, that audit from the IRS, I just, God, I want it to go away, and I'm gonna thank you for making it go away. As if we thank God in the right way that it'll just happen. That's not what Paul is saying here. Here's what he's saying. He's saying that actually, if you pray, pray boldly, and ask boldly, but as you do so, thank God that whatever comes your way, even if you don't get the promotion, even if you still have cancer, even if that person does die, that you still thank God because somehow you trust that God knows what God is doing, that God is greater than you, that if God doesn't allow it into your life, it's actually because he knows that that wouldn't have been good for you. Garth Brooks had it right. Sometimes God's greatest gifts are what? We know that song. That's deep, true theology from Scripture. And this is so difficult and so hard. This takes so much trust. 
This takes such a willingness to say, God, I, I, I can't fully wrap my mind around why you would allow that to happen, but you're God and I'm not. Becoming a parent of a child has really helped me understand this in many ways. And I know not all of us are parents, but all of us have been children and are children. And I, I remember when my son, uh, growing up, there was moments where, you know, he would, he would be in the midst of um, trying to eat a car, you know, like one of those little matchbox cars. And I'm like, no, ripping it out of his hand, out of his mouth. There's moments where he would run into the street thinking that that was fun. I'm yelling at him, chasing him down. I remember this moment where he looked at me in tears, yelling back at me, saying, Daddy, you don't love me. You're not letting me have another brownie. And he just, he was shaking his fist at me. He didn't understand. And as a parent, I know that that, that car in his mouth, that car going down the street is not going to be good for him. And if that's true from a an earthly father to an earthly son, the gap of that knowledge and perspective, how much more true is it? As Scripture says that we are children of God, how much more true is it than when we look at God and say, God, why would you do this? Angry, upset, mad at God, which by the way, God's big enough. God can handle your anger and your frustration. God wants you to be real. God wants you to be honest. We see it in Scripture. Look at Psalm 13, King David. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? So go to God with your frustration, but go to him. Don't turn your back on him. But as you go to him with boldness, say, but I'm going to trust you. You know, there's this, this phrase that I hear, and it's, it, it sounds so good. How many of you heard of the phrase, just follow your heart? How many of you heard of the phrase, just listen to your heart? That's so destructive in your life. You know why it's destructive? Because we listen to our heart more than we listen to the one that created us. And the reason why we listen to our heart more than we listen to the one who created us, we end up settling for smaller things, lesser things. That's where the brokenness of this world originates from because we are listening to the wrong thing. Scripture says that if you're going to listen to your heart, you've got to listen to the words of Scripture even louder. And therefore, then, rather than just listening to your heart, you've got to talk to your heart. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ, that you listen to what God has to say to you. And as you listen to your heart, if there's a gap, if there's a separation, you talk to your heart. Where do you see this in Scripture? Psalm 42, I want to show you. Go there. I don't hear any paper. Any pages turning? I want you to see it with your own eyes. I'm not making this up. Psalm 42, verse 11. Great example of talking to your heart, speaking to your heart. It says this. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? I'll expand upon that before I finish. Why are you anxious? Why are you worrying? Why are you filled with fear? Why are you settling for this thing? Why do you think that will make you happy? Why do you think that that will give you joy? Why do you think that that will give you security? Hope in God. 
for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. And this leads us to the second point. You see, the first point is this, that if you practice prayer, prayer in that way, that you trust God and you thank God no matter what God gives you, you actually will receive the peace of God. That actually you are resting in his goodness, his faithfulness, and that gives you a peace. No matter how good things are, no matter how bad things are, you trust that God in God's all-knowing, all-powerful way, you know that he's actually, as Romans 8 says, he's working it together all for good. I mean, I think back on my own life, before I get to the second point, I think back on my own life that the reason why I'm here preaching today is because I was the second choice to the pastoral nominating committee. The first person said no. The reason why I said yes is because I was trusting God. After they came to me, their second choice. How cool is that? It's actually very biblical. But why did I say yes when historically the last thing I wanted on earth was to be a senior pastor? Never wanted that. Why did I say yes? Because it was Bel Air Church. Why was it Bel Air Church? This is where I came to Christ. Why did I come to Christ? Because there was a man named Ethan Glazner who was my roommate in college that led me to Christ. Why was he my roommate in college? Because I met him the beginning of my sophomore year at a dance. How did I meet him? We were wearing the same shoes. He looked at my shoes, I looked at his. That began a relationship. Why did I buy those shoes? I was a skateboarder. Why did I become a skateboarder? Because I quit soccer. I was so angry at my coach and that I wasn't going to get in the college that I wanted. Why did I go to USC where I came to Christ, where I eventually, on and on and on, leads to this place today? Because I didn't get into the school of my first choice. Why did I get in the school of my first choice? You see, I can go all the way back. I can look at the fact that my brother died of a drug overdose. My parents got divorced. There's been huge loss in my life. I've experienced disappointment. I have disappointed people. And somehow God has used all of that. And I can only see the tip of the iceberg of how he's used it. But God has used all of that somehow for his glory. And I'm telling you, that if you actually just begin to, just for a moment, practice prayer, it'll be like this. Think about the disciples. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, it says that they turned and they ran away. The horror, the loss, the disappointment, the anger that they experienced, they turned and they ran away. From their perspective, all was lost. We see in the fullness of Scripture what God was doing. God looks at that and says, that was the moment of perfect love, perfect wisdom, perfect mercy, perfect justice. That was the beginning of the defeat of death. That was the beginning of the restoration of all things. That was the beginning of the renewal of all things. So when you can look at these moments in your life, no matter how wrong, how bad, how evil, how disappointing, through that lens, if God can use the cross so horrific for the most beautiful thing that's ever happened in human history... He can use that diagnosis, that disappointment. And I don't say that lightly. But I say that with deep humility. God wants to give you a peace that will keep you whole in one piece. Second point, to practice pursuit. Now, before I get into this, before we conclude this, I've got a video to show you. A couple in our church, take a look at this. 
My previous relationships, I think, like a lot of people in this day and age, I was dating just to date. I, I really don't think um, it was purposeful. You know, I think past relationships, I just, I didn't know myself fully. I wasn't living fully through Christ. I was really living for myself. We actually met. Doing my favorite activity, which is playing beach volleyball. We all went to go jump in the water to cool off because it was a hot day. And uh, we came back. I didn't have a towel. She was sitting on a towel and she invited me to come sit down next to her. And I was like, oh, okay. I wasn't even looking for anything, and Eric did actually not catch my eye. <laughs> On my list before was like tall, white, athletic. On my list though back then too was a Christian man. I knew I wasn't that. I think the biggest hurdle for Eric and myself was just getting on the same page about purity. I think um, both of us have come from past relationships where that wasn't something that we were practicing. And I just made it very clear to Eric right away, I would say, within the first couple of dates, that that's something that I wanted to make apparent in a relationship. You know, if I'm being honest, I've, I've made mistakes in the past with past relationships and not honoring that purity. So we had discussions about that. It was kind of a, a rocky time. Um, and. That's when she eventually invited me to go to church with her. When I asked Eric, he was like, yeah, of course, sure, I'd love to come, because he's such an open-minded guy, and that's what I love most about Eric. It spoke to me. It opened the door of having a greater purpose, that there is a God, and this is something I should explore further. Eric was all in already. It just blew my mind too because I was like, wow, this guy is just ready to get involved so quickly. The hardest part of my journey with Nicole has been being pure. This relationship with Eric has taught me so much and has, he's, I feel like the Lord has given me a new chance in that, um, just with Eric and um, I'm just really grateful for that. Intimacy now is is looking into each other's eyes, holding each other's hand. Me massaging her sore leg. It's, it's praying together. It's going to church together. It's, it's worshiping together. By being pure, I was very surprised at how intimate and close we could be with one another. It's not something that I could imagine that would be possible. So Nicole and Eric, you're here, and I, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for, I want to thank you for your boldness in allowing us to share your story because that is very countercultural. It's countercultural not only in Los Angeles; it's countercultural in the church, sadly. And I imagine that some of you are like, "Oh, I know where he's going with this." Oh, this is where the preacher up front just tells me all the things that I shouldn't do. This is where he's going to say, I got to stay pure, I got to do this, I got to do that. No, I, I read ahead. There's a long list of things that I've got to do. And if I do these things, then at the end of verse 9, oh, then the God of peace will be with me. That's what I used to think growing up before I had a relationship 
with Jesus. I thought Christianity was just a bunch of little no's. No, 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 no. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Do that, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. That's religion. That's human-made religion. Christianity is a relationship. And it's not a bunch of many little no's. It's simply one big yes. It is a big yes to the one who created you. It is the yes to the one who says only I as your creator can give you true love, true joy, true peace, true security, true intimacy. And when you understand that great and glorious yes, then actually you don't want to say yes to all these other little things that you thought would give you joy and peace and security and intimacy and self-esteem. And then everything, sex, relationships, food, everything fits in its right and proper order when the great and glorious God is your greatest yes. And so I've come to know this couple just in a little way, and I know that they didn't go into this of, oh, I've got to not do this, and how far is too far so that God will love me. They wanted to say yes, a greater yes, to their God. And I'm going to camp out on sex for just one moment while we're here. That's the beauty of preaching through Scripture, and you get to a text that normally I wouldn't go to. It's a phenomenal gift that God gives us. And when you understand it in light of how God has given it to us to be a gift that we give another in the covenant, committed relationship that we call marriage, then it's something that is the full expression of I am giving myself to you, I am committed to you. And when you settle for anything less than that, then sex can be something where we think we will find our self-esteem where we think it will give us security, where we think it will make us feel powerful because of some conquest, and we will end up in little pieces. And God says, don't allow yourself to settle for something so small. You see, the problem of humanity is that we want too little. Pastor Kim reminded me of this earlier this month. We have a great and gracious God that says, if you would only want more of the right thing, true peace, true joy, true love, true security, and that's what Paul is talking about here. He's saying that I want you to focus on what is true, honorable, just, and pure, and those aren't just things that is found in a person, Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God that is a community of one, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, that wants to overflow that relationship of love to you, that you would find your identity in Him. You see, when you practice a pursuit of God, then you're not settling even for God's blessings as being the thing that is your God. You see, it's so easy for us to just look at the things that God gives us Even the pursuit of purity, and I want you to hear this, even the pursuit of purity can become an idol. Even the pursuit of trying to be holy all the time can be an idol. God is calling you to pursue Him. There's a great A.W. Tozer book, The Pursuit of God. I highly recommend it. And that's the beauty of this, that when you look at this principle, these two practices, God is longing for you to experience not only the peace of God, but the God of peace. Take a look at that. 
in verse 7, in verse 9. There's no mistake. He, he changes the order. Verse 7, it says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It gives the image of one marching around your soul, your heart, your mind. What a beautiful thought. And then in verse 9, it says, the God of peace will be with you. That's why, one of the reasons why in this season we want to change our schedule to be a worshiping and growing church so that we can practice these things together. And this is just two of many things that we can practice together. And I've got to tell you, in this season, I'm filled with so much anxiety. <laughs> I'm worrying so much. I broke out in hives two weeks ago. And so in my humanness, what's my natural reaction? I've got to change the circumstances. I've got to change the circumstances. I've got to reduce the turbulence. I've got to reduce the pressure. I've got to get into the hangar. I've got to get in the harbor. I've got to, I've got to hide and I've got to just... And it's still there. And I'm so reminded in this season, as I'm pretty desperate for God right now, that the turbulence and the pressure is actually causing me to reach the end of myself more than I ever have and saying, God, would you fill me by the power of your spirit? Would you give me a stability that only comes from you so that I can stand firm in the midst of this turbulence, that I can stand firm in the midst of this pressure? And here's the amazing thing that that turbulence and that pressure has actually refined me to be more of the person God longs for me to be. So you know what my prayer for you is, church, friends, brothers and sisters? I'm praying that God would allow more turbulence in your life. I'm praying that God would allow more pressure into your life. When was the last time you heard that? Because I've begun to experience what God can do when you reach the end of yourself and say, God, I've got nothing but you. When I lay in bed, I can't get out of bed saying, God, I don't know how I'm going to get through today. I can't do it. My doctor can't do it for me. The fact that I'm in this role can't do it. My education, I'm at the end of myself. I need you. I want that for you. And you can't experience that when you settle for the hangar or the harbor. God has created you to soar, to explore the depths of humanity. And he gives you this great gift more rigid than a plane or a submarine could ever be built. Long for that, pursue that, hunger for that. It's your gift to receive. Let's pray. God, in this moment, we're reminded in Scripture that we can have the peace of God and the God of peace because Jesus Christ accomplished it all, lived the perfect life, died the sacrificial death, defeated death, so that we can have peace with you, God. So may all we do simply be in response to that great gift, that love. And as we give back to you through our tithes and our offerings, God, would it not be in our minds that we're giving away security? Would it be in our minds that we're not giving away comfort? But would it be that we are giving away what you've entrusted us because you are our security, you are our comfort, you are our joy. Jesus, we thank you for your love and it's your precious name we pray.
Amen.